0: And our chapter reading for today is Matthew chapter 25. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so I want to back up, if we could, to Matthew chapter 24 and get the context. Jesus is predicting, in Matthew chapter 24, the destruction of the beautiful temple that lay just before them across the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives where they were sitting. They had just been in the temple area. They had served for years around that temple area. They knew it like the back of their hand. And some of the stones there in the retaining walls and in the temple itself are some of the largest that there's ever been carved by human hands. As a matter of fact, one of the stones in the western wall that you can see just as you go into the tunnel complex is over 500 metric tons. Yes, larger than any stone at Machu Picchu. It is absolutely enormous. And so the stones that Herod was putting in the temple to expand it and all the edifice around were absolutely magnificent. And Jesus said in the temple proper, There would not be one stone left upon another, and indeed, it was raised to the ground. What Jesus said came to pass literally. Now, I would say that's amazing, but that's the way it is with biblical prophecy, because prophecy, remember, is nothing more than historical events written down before they happen. In other words, history written in advance. And so Jesus was talking about his coming. And he began to tell parables about that. Now, remember, a parabola, as we learned earlier this month, is an earthly story. Maybe it is an actual event. Maybe it is fiction. But it is used to provide a teaching point, usually just one. Now, we try to make everything in a parable stand on its own legs, and it's just not simply meant that way. There is one main teaching of a parable. Sometimes there's a secondary teaching, and sometimes we get that mixed up. For instance, in the story of the prodigal son, I believe many times we miss the entire point of the prodigal son especially when we get to the end of the parable. But back in Matthew chapter 24, you have the parable of the fig tree. Now, remember, Jesus is talking about his coming. He's talking to Jewish men, Jewish disciples. Uh, The Gentiles here are not in the picture. This is the Lord Jesus talking to his disciples because they're asking him questions. And so he told them about the fig tree tree, and he said to them, "Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near." Now, you must know that the fig tree is one of the last to bloom in the Middle East, uh, specifically in Israel. When the fig tree is in full leaf, summer is right around the corner. In other words, everyone that worked with these fruits would know this. And this is why they are given the seven first produce. We call them the seven first fruits. They're really produce. The first two are grain, wheat and barley but then they are given in the order in which they come. And the fig tree always blooms just before summer. It's a late bloomer, you could say. As a matter of fact, the fruit is already on the tree before the leaves come. It's one of those quirks of nature. In most instances, you have the leaf, then you have the bloom, and then you have the fruit on a tree. But that's not the case with the fig. The fig comes out first. I can show you picture after picture all over Israel of fig trees. Before they leave, they're barren, and here come the fruits. And then after the fruit is on the tree, it matures with the leaf as it uh, leaves fully. And so Jesus said to them, this fig tree should be understood that when you see whatever it represents uh, coming to its maturity and fruition, then you know that the summer is coming. In other words, the end is coming. Now, I believe the fig tree is the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, with Jeremiah, with Micah, with Hosea, specifically Hosea in chapter 9, Israel is likened unto the fig tree. And I believe this is why the fig tree was cursed as a matter of fact on one instance not this particular has nothing to do with this parable but remember there were leaves on the tree and that meant it should have been fruit because it was in its maturity but yet it was not producing fruit and Jesus cursed it and all the leaves were gone when they came back the next day. In other words Jesus was saying that Israel should have produced fruit. They were given great privilege beyond Any people of all the earth, of all the peoples, they should have known who Messiah was, but they missed him. And so you have in verse 32, this peril of the fig tree. And Jesus said, when you see it putting forth leaves, the fruits already on the tree, you know that it's the last of the bloomers. And so therefore you should know that the end is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know verse 33, that it is near what this coming of the son of man that he's been talking about in verses 29 uh, through 31. And so you have this parable told then in verse 36 of chapter 24, Jesus talks about the suddenness of it. After a long period of warning, God will warn and warn and warn. And then all of a sudden it's going to happen and there will be no warning. And he uses Noah as an example. And he said, "...it will be so quick that two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left." That's verse 40 and 41. And so he said, "...watch therefore, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming." And uh, he said, if they would have known, they would have prepared. Well, now is the time to prepare. God has been warning us now for 2000 years that this is coming. And as you know, Peter said that people would say when it comes time for the prophecy to come to fruition, that people will say, I've always heard about that since I was a boy. And uh, the Lord hadn't come yet. And so they began to be lax and start coasting. Well, that's a good way to go downhill. And so that's exactly what happened. So the Lord said, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour in which I'm coming. And so this was the sign of Noah. And it talks about the suddenness of his return. Then the faithful steward and the evil steward is talked about in verse 45. And that is say that you can read the sky, you know, when everything is just right, but you you haven't gotten it yet. You're missing it. And so the Lord told his disciples to understand that they did not be deceived. And this is why in chapter 24, he opened with a warning about Deception. Now, chapter 25 opens with the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This is a another parable to say to his disciples, you need to be ready. You need to have wisdom. You need to be discerning. You need to have critical judgment, not censorious judgment, but you need to know the entire Tanakh. You see, the New Testament hadn't been written. Jesus is not giving us a blow by blow of what's going to happen. He doesn't talk about the rapture. He doesn't talk about much about the tribulation, just in general general and how horrible it's going to be. Remember, I know some of you are saying here he goes about the rapture. Well, Jesus didn't talk about the rapture no more than he talked about the Gentile church and the Jew and Gentile together. You know why? That was a musterion, according to the apostle Paul, hidden in the heart of God, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, God has the prerogative to do that. For those of you who think that everything has to be laid out, uh, one, two, three, by Jesus Himself. There's a lot of things that Jesus didn't talk about that's talked about other places in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, and also the New Testament, the New Covenant. And so Jesus came for a specific purpose, and He fulfilled His purpose completely. But He raised up the Apostle Paul and the other disciples to help us to understand what's coming. And no one talks about this, what we call the harpazo, or the what the Greeks call the harpazo, what we call the raptus, the snatching away, only the Apostle Paul really goes into that in detail. Why? Because he was the Apostle to the Gentiles, and it was a mystery hidden in the heart of God, just like Israel and the church being one during this present age. And so you have this parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Now, you have people trying to say, Say, well, the five were saved, ten were saved, others were not. This is not what the parable is about, about who's saved and who's not. It's about preparation. It's about wisdom. Then the parable of the talents, that is... The parable that deals with being faithful to God in whatever position, whatever lot in life you are sovereignly given by God, whether that's you are gifted with multiple gifts or you've got an assignment that might not be as of what you believe as admirable as another. It doesn't matter. God gives to us gifts according to his own pleasure, not according to ours and not according to what necessities we ask for. God is sovereign. He knows what we can handle and what we cannot. And so the parable of the talents has to do with being faithful with whatever lot in life you have, not how much you have, but it's what you do with what you do have. That's what this is all about. And it talks about the Lord being the final judge. That's why when you come to verse 31, you have Jesus talking about how he will judge the nation one day. In other words, God himself is going to have the final say. Now I want to stop here for just a moment and help you to understand something that we often forget. In our days when we see wicked men coming to the forefront, wicked women coming to the forefront, we see the discombobulation of uh, culture and society as the West has known. And we wonder if our nation and our government and this experiment of democracy will last. Well, let me just tell you, it may or it may not, but the Lord's timetable is not dependent upon that because God is going to have the last say. Those in the Middle East, the Islamists that want to destroy Israel, Iran that wants to destroy Israel, the anti-Semitism that is in the world today, the anti-Christian, anti-God movement that is in the world today. Now, number one, it's always been there. It's been there since the curse. It's been there since Adam. But it intensifies at different periods in history, and the scripture says, In the last days, there will be perilous times. There will be times when the love of many will wax cold. In other words, it's going to be an unparalleled unprecedented time of persecution, of godlessness and even the people of God will turn away to listening to whatever tickles their ears. Even those that are truly born again and those who are walking with God, they will have some walking beside them that do not love the Lord and and have not been faithful to Him. But all to say, when it comes down to world rulers, just like with individuals, God will have the last say. From time to time, when I have been working in Washington, D.C., meeting with senators and meeting with House members in relation to the U.S.-Israel relationship, I will have people that are with me, and we will begin to talk many times about biblical prophecy, "...they will say to me, what is going to happen with this Palestinian situation and the nation of Israel and the Arabs when Messiah comes?" and I tell them what I'm going to tell you right now. They will often say when Messiah comes during the Messianic age, will Messiah take sides with the nation of Israel, or will he side with the Palestinians because there's a teaching that replaces Israel and says God's finished with Israel? I believe that's heretical. I believe it's not only bad teaching, I believe it's heresy. I understand how people get there i just totally disagree with them but i often say to my colleagues in washington from all over the united states when messiah comes he is not coming to take sides he's coming to take over for on the way this is tony crisp thanks for listening to on the way with tony crisp tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages people places and prophecies